All right, who did the homework? Am I, can you hear me? Is this on? changed so this is the mic that works doesn't matter we're good no it's fine it's all right they, we trained for this uh, at school <laughs> okay uh, I had you hopefully well I had you and hopefully you did this last week go through uh, the the phrase or similar idea every tribe and language and people and nation, and gave one of those occurrences Revelation 5, 9. Uh, but as we'll see here in just a moment, it's quite throughout Revelation. It may not seem like all that big of a deal as a phrase, uh, but it's very much an Old Testament idea, uh, both directly and indirectly. It has, uh, has good theological significance. Uh, as well as just significance in other exile texts, which has kind of been our big, big thing. Uh, the apocalyptic literature that we have in the Old Testament, like Daniel, uh, Ezekiel, at least large parts of Ezekiel, uh, parts of Isaiah as well, in all of those places, they are in exile. They're hoping for the end of the the persecution, the struggle, the trial that comes with all of that. Uh, and the prophets will go through a similar writing process of here is how things are. Uh, this is what they should have been, but they were not for this reason. But this is what they will be. And that's how the prophets kind of write their books. Uh, but uh, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel, and some others use this apocalyptic language, all this symbolism, uh, to express those ideas. And Revelation is no different. In fact, I would say that's why Revelation is as uh, symbolic and imagery-filled as it is, because it's expressing those same sorts of ideas. That there is a present persecution, trial, struggle, and all of this, but all of those things will ultimately uh, be changed. The only difference with Revelation is that it very specifically deals with how all of this is going to conclude. Uh, but even there... The stuff that we have in the Old Testament prophets says the same stuff, uh, and that's all uh, on purpose and by design. Uh, why might, because we'll, we'll talk about this throughout the class, and I don't know if we'll get through all of this today or not. Uh, why might this phrase and the one similar to it be significant? Why, why is the phrase every tribe, nation, uh, every tribe and language and people and nation, why might that be important? Why does it matter? Can you go back to the tower? Sending out of we will the, go back to the tower, yeah. Going sending out of the nations, basically mm -hmm. the, the breaking up of the nations, and then the theme that goes to the whole Bible, which is the idea of 
bringing everybody back, um, which you see periodically throughout um, the symbolic liturgies, sending out the seventy-seven or sending mm -hmm. out the seventy, and and uh, but the idea is this is the all the nations will eventually come back to yeah. God. Yeah, uh, Tower of Babel specifically laid out there, which is also the sending out of the, the 70 and all of this. Uh, both of those ideas are connected. Jack, you yes. mentioned something last week about Christianity isn't just for America, <laughs> or yeah. not an American religion. Yeah. And that just kind of, when you mentioned, you asked why, well, that's it. It's everywhere yes. on the earth. Yeah. And so we have to bring... And, and realize that a lot of times when we kind of seclude ourselves to just America, no, it's everywhere. Yeah, and Christianity is everywhere. It didn't start here in America, and it's not going to end here in America. Right. Well, and 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 this this is not just true of us. Any modern readers of the Bible, and this has been true in past generations, uh, as they read through Revelation, there there's a there is a temptation to do this maybe tendency is the right word, to put ourselves like directly in what's happening. Uh, and then, for, uh, especially with the apocalyptic literature, to look at that and go, okay, here is where I am in this time, and so these things might mean this. And uh, that's not just American Christians that do that. It's Christians wherever they might be. Uh, but we have to understand that uh, this book was written to... These Christians, now it is talking about some stuff that's going to happen in the end. We tend to excel at it, though. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I can't speak <laughs> for... I don't know how many other... Uh, Manifest destiny. Sure, uh, sure. This comes off the top of my head. Fair enough. Listen. <laughs> we'll probably get there. No, I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. I, I know, I'm with, you, I'm with you, I'm with you. But this idea of... This, uh, this equals you know, my context uh, is uh, something that's very easy, easy habit to get into. But th this idea of all, of all of the people, all of those that are coming to, not, not every single individual, I do believe in uh, a place of, of punishment. Those that reject God will end up in the place where God is not present. Uh, but when I say every, I mean people from all over. Uh, will uh, ultimately be united uh, under this banner of God. And I think that's why this phrase is significant. We see the scattering at the Tower of Babel. We will talk about that. Uh, and we see all of we see God's intention to bring all of those people back together, all of the nations back together under him. Uh, and we'll explore that throughout the Old Testament today, show how revelation, how John in the revelation is uh, is tying all those pieces back together. Okay, uh, we, we've already mentioned this, but uh, there's, there's a nice idea of everybody getting together. Uh, in, in both, uh, it was the Avengers Endgame movie, and it was the ninth Star Wars movie. Two, two movies that recently came out within the last few years, and in both of those movies, the ending battle against the bad guys and all of this, the overwhelming forces of evil and all of this, everybody shows up. You know, all the good guys, they, everybody's there, the battle's won, that sort of thing. Uh, but there's this triumphant idea of everybody shows up, and everybody's here, and they all have the victory, and, and on from there. Uh, and that's 
similar to the revelation idea, except God doesn't need us in this uh, ultimate final battle thing, though we are important uh, to the kingdom. We'll talk about that as well a little bit today, maybe, or t next week, I don't know. We'll talk about it on this paper at some point. Uh, but we're, that, this truly will be the end, where all of these people are united ultimately under, <coughs> under God here. Let's start with the Revelation text, where we actually see this phrase, or similar phrases. We've got, a lot of, uh, we've got a lot of stuff today. We'll go through whatever we go through. We've got questions as well, and we'll explore that stuff. And if you have thoughts, throw your hand up. I'll look eventually. Um, there you go. Patience will be rewarded, I guess. I don't know. The opening chapter of Revelation provides us with a series of descriptions and titles of Jesus. This is a paragraph left over from last week's paper that I didn't delete off when I copy-pasted. So let's just jump down to Revelation 1-7. Uh, uh, I'm just trying to make sure you're paying attention. Uh, Revelation 1-7. Uh, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. So this doesn't have our actual phrase, but look at the, the every eye will see him, even those who pierced him in all tribes of the earth. So it's not the full phrase, but that idea. All tribes of the earth, uh, every eye uh, will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. Revelation 5.9 is where we have that specific phrase. By your blood you ransom people uh, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Uh, Revelation 5.13, and these are all on your paper here. So if you're flipping through, that's fine. We're going chronologically, but if I'm going too fast, it's on page one there. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. Uh, this is when you have every creature and notice where all these things are in heaven, on earth, under the earth. In this, it's covering everything. So we're dealing with all people. That idea is present there again. And then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, <laughs> hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains. Another big listing of all these kinds of people. Uh, Revelation 7, 4, And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Revelation 7, 9, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Revelation 10, 11, and I was told you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations, nations and languages and kings. Uh, Revelation 11, 9, for three and a half days, some, of the, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. Revelation 13, 7, and it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. Revelation 14 and verse 6, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. Revelation 15, 4, who, uh, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous, righteous acts have been revealed. Uh, the last one on page 1, And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitutes seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. Page two, we got one more that I have listed. <laughs> By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So we, we have this phrase of uh, tribe, nations, peoples, languages. 
Sometimes that gets changed a little bit and it adds kings in there. Sometimes it's just tribes or just nations. Sometimes it's everyone, and then we get a few of those pieces in there uh, mixed in with that. There are other references as well to nations, if we wanted to keep listing them uh, throughout Revelation. It's, a, uh, it's an important idea. Uh, and it's clear from the prevalence of these references to the spread of them from the opening chapter, 1 verse 7, all the way through here to chapter 21 verse 24, uh, and it's also in 22 as well, and we'll talk about that at the end, uh, that this idea is extremely important uh, to the, the book of Revelation, uh, to what is uh, ultimately being accomplished in the message here. Uh, these references are a lot more than just a lot of people are going to be there from all over the place. Okay? That, that's true. But that's not the point, or at least the, the main point of that phrase. Uh, they show the finality, this phrase, show the finality of God's plan, a plan that God set in motion from uh, the very beginning. Okay, we're going to jump into the Old Testament. You have references here. We're, gonna, we're just going to summarize some of these things. We'll read pieces of, uh, of some of these texts. But the whole point of this is, and this is not comprehensive either, uh, we, we're not looking at the laws within Leviticus and Deuteronomy whatsoever, but they have, there are several of those laws that are very nation-focused about uh, what, how you interact with the other nations. Uh, but I think what we're covering today will be enough to give us the idea uh, that we need to see here. So we're starting in Genesis. We begin the book of Genesis and Scripture as a whole with a picture of how God created things to be. God makes this perfect creation where he and his creation live in harmony with one another. Actual peace, that there, there is this wholeness, this complete health and all of this uh, to the relationship. Nothing separating. Uh, sin ultimately corrupts the picture. We know that, Genesis 3. Uh, but God is not content to let his vision go by the wayside here. The rest of the biblical narrative shows us God's work to bring about the creation again. Uh, specifically, that all creation will once again be in harmony with the Creator. Okay, that, that's why we start with uh, that's that's why we start with where we started at Genesis. The purpose of Genesis one and two, though you can, uh, and, and I think it's good to deal with apologetics and evidences and things from there. It's it's good to have that uh, have that framework for it, but that's not why it was written. Uh, it's written. Uh, also, not just to give us some, well, here's an explanation of how things came to be. Okay, that's what that is, but that's also not entirely the purpose. The purpose of that is to show this, this is what God's creation looked like. This is what he desired his creation to look like. This is how it was supposed to function. Uh, this is how the relationship was supposed to work creator and creation uh, in harmony with one another. We don't have uh, disease and war and fighting and uh, pride, power, all that sort of stuff being pursued in God's good creation. That is how he, uh, he made those things to work without all of that stuff. You have peace, you have order, uh, you have uh, true relationship with God. That's where we begin, and then we see all of that get ruined because of sin. Okay, so Jesus is the, the 
linchpin of all of this, the fixing of all of those things, the redemption of all of these things, and we'll talk about redeemed more in the sermon this morning. Uh, Jesus is going to be the central part of every bit of this, but it's to get back to this. God and his creation together without any separation whatsoever. As we move through Genesis, which we've done so much of this year, uh, we get into the flood in Genesis 6 through 9. Uh, the flood taking place there because you have sins, corruption spread in such a way that, uh, the text says, uh, the thoughts of all people are only on evil, uh, evil continually. That's a problem. That uh, shows how far we have fallen, how, how far the creation has gone. Uh, and so there is this purifying through the flood and God going to begin that creation again. Uh, and we actually go through the same creation week beats in the flood. And we have that sermon recorded somewhere. It's pretty cool. It was sometime at the beginning of this year. So I don't blame you if you don't remember it. But it's really cool because we go through that whole creation again. And the point of all of that is God has essentially, uh, you could say, uh, recreated this, this new earth in a sense. Uh, and here's this opportunity where sin and its consequences, to some degree, uh, have been cleansed off. Now you have Noah and his family. Here we go. Uh, and then that falls apart. And as we move into Genesis 11, uh, we come to understand something God's known from uh, before creation. If the creation is going to be redeemed, it's going to take direct involvement from him to bring it about. When man's left to their own devices, they become their own gods. The Tower of Babel, as was mentioned at the beginning of class. Uh, this idea of let's build a tower up to the heavens, let's make a name for ourselves, you know, let's, let's gather here and build this thing, uh, lest we be scattered across the face of the earth, uh, which is precisely what God wanted his creation to do, to go throughout the, the earth. God made this creation and said, this is yours. Multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, is what he says. And he says it to Adam and Eve. He says it to Noah. Uh, and in Genesis 11, you have people left to their own devices are going to do the opposite thing. Uh, sin is going to work its corruption. And so if God is going to bring about solving this problem of the separation between creator and creation, he's going to need to be directly involved in the process, uh, because otherwise people will move further and further away. Which is why, when you go from the Tower of Babel and turn the next page, then Genesis slows down significantly and says, let's talk about this Abram guy and then his son and then his son. And it slows down a lot. That's why. Because God is going to take direct involvement now in the life of somebody who is willing to walk with him, not be perfect, but walk with him, be perfected, uh, be a righteous individual because of the following of God, uh, and makes this promise to him. This is important, very significant, middle of page 2, Genesis 12, 2 through 3. I will make of you a great nation, I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God's intention uh, with taking direct involvement was not to say, I only care about this group of people now. It was to directly interact with this group of people in order to reclaim all of them. And that's what the Old Testament shows us. 
that Israel is this group that has direct involvement from God, but that does not mean, and it is a mistake to think, it's not correct. Uh, it, I, I don't like being that direct about things like that normally as far as talking about beliefs and all this. It is incorrect to say that God stopped caring about everybody else, only cared about Israel and what was happening with them. Not accurate at all. It's not the story. The story is God takes direct involvement with Abram, eventually leading us to Israel, for the purpose of getting all of the people of the earth to, to come and see what it's like to live under the rule of God. If Israel did what they were supposed to do, and we're not being harsh on Israel because we do this as well. If Israel did what they were supposed to do, then their kingdom would be this kingdom that reflects God's good creation, as he intended it from the beginning. If they did the things that he asked them to do, then they would look like, to at least some degree, what the perfect creation looked like. And people from these other nations would be attracted to that and come to that. And that's what God wants. That's why he takes direct involvement. He doesn't stop caring about these other nations. You can look at Jonah to see all of that. You can see how God works in Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar, who completely turns things around uh, and, and comes to know uh, the, the God of Israel. You, you can look at how God worked in the other nations. It was Israel that decided, we're the chosen, everybody else doesn't matter. They got that wrong. That's not correct. Uh, and Paul spends a great deal of Romans saying, you guys got that wrong. <laughs> Uh, okay. God does tell them to keep themselves pure from the idolatrous influences of yes. the peoples around them in the Jordan Valley yeah. uh, as a temporary measure uh, leading up to a time when in Acts the gospel will go to all the world. Uh, God <laughs> talks to a man from Ethiopia, right. not a Jew. Uh, God chooses Saul, a man, to talk to non-Jewish people. After the first decade of the church in Jerusalem, the church became a Gentile uh, institution right. based upon God's laws, God's teaching about Jesus. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and so we, we, watch, we watch all of that develop, and even Acts 2, and this is another thing we've talked about before, Acts 2 is... Direct reversal of Tower of Babel, it's super cool. Uh, we, see, we see God's desire of the nations coming to him being fulfilled in his kingdom, which is the church, which is the body of Christ. It all works together. It's awesome stuff. Okay, uh, what, what evidence from the Old Testament? Acts is evidence of this, but other Old Testament ideas. I already threw out Jonah and Nebuchadnezzar. I forgot I had this question on here. So sorry for taking those away. Uh, what other things can you think about throughout the Old Testament where we see God interacting with other nations to bring about their salvation? I was thinking of Ruth. Okay, yeah, with Ruth. She's a Moabite. Yeah, she she is a Moabite. That would have been one of the groups of be you know beware their influence and all this stuff. And this is where we're going to get David and ultimately Jesus from, is through there. Rahab. Okay. Yeah, Rahab. Rahab. Yes. Nehemiah. Nehemiah, yeah. Working with the king. Yes. 
Yeah. And him supplying to rebuild Jerusalem. Yeah, uh, the foreign king being heavily supportive of Nehemiah uh, and their interaction together. Okay, what else? I don't know if this goes with what you're saying, but like even in Deuteronomy, I think it's Deuteronomy where it says, I didn't choose you because you were the most the most uh, numerous. Um, so the idea that they weren't special. They were special by their calling of him, yeah. but not because of anything that within them themselves. And almost all the all the prophets, don't they? They always go in these circles where they start talking about other countries. Sometimes yes. it's it's they they their their judgment against other countries, and then it comes back to God saying you're you're in that same judgment. But at other times, He says those other countries are acting better than than, yes. than you as as well. So yeah. it's uh, He always been concerned with the with the world. Yeah, there there's a heavy amount of. Uh, geography conversation yes. <laughs> within, within the Bible and, and the prophets specifically and talking about the nations around them and, and all of this. Okay, what uh, uh, any, any others? Esther, maybe? Yeah, I think that's good. What was it? Esther. Oh, Esther. Yeah, we have, we have several, uh, like Joseph in Egypt as well. There's good, uh, Daniel in Babylon, Esther in uh, uh, Persia. Uh, Joseph in Egypt, that uh, there are interactions with these other nations as well that ultimately bring about good. And that's kind of the idea there. One of the things where you go, I want to go back to what you said at Genesis, because yeah. you know I have to beat this drum in every that's all right. class. That's fine. In Genesis, and you've already touched on it a little bit, it's not just that the world had become disobedient to God, that there was too much drinking or dancing or... Or, sure. or cursing or dating people who do. And you know, I like to say that a lot because that's sometimes how we distinguish these ideas of yes. what Christians should look like. Genesis 11, he saw that the world had become so violent. Yes. And that is, and you know, that's my kind of the shalom motif that mm -hmm. runs through Scripture is the end of Scripture is shalom. Yep. Yeah, and we'll yeah, I'm I'm uh, we we will talk about that more at length too. Awesome. I want to save the cool part for the end though, all the new heaven, new earth stuff. But yes, uh, God's intention with His design was not all right. I made you guys, and I want you to fight each other and vie for power. That's not the good creation. That is that is a consequence of sin. We'll talk more about that uh, as we go through the class because you have to because it comes up. Quite a bit uh, in Revelation. Okay, jumping way ahead from Genesis into Isaiah. Uh, just just some thoughts here uh, through the upholding of God's just just some thoughts, but this is this is extremely important. Through the upholding of God's laws, the Jewish people would become righteous. This is true of Christianity as well. Okay? And this is not on your paper. Important thing to understand, and I saw somebody else talking about it, one of my minister friends or whatever on Facebook last night. The designation sinner is used in the Bible for those whose identity uh, is that of sin, not for people who have done a sinful thing. Christians are never identified as sinners. You can be but the phrasing of sinner and talking about Christian, like Paul says, such were some of you, but you're not those things. That, that's, you're, you're not those sinful behaviors. You're not a sinner. You are now a Christian. Uh, we are righteous 
because of Christ, that's not a, it might sound arrogant if you said, oh, I'm righteous. Okay, well, it might sound arrogant, but it's accurate. Uh, you are righteous. Uh, you are sinless because of Jesus. And that's extremely important. Can you become unrighteous? Yes, because sin still exists. And we're living in a world where it exists, and that temptation pulls on us, and uh, Satan and, and his, his forces want to bring us over and away from God and all of this. So you can become those things if you walk back into that lifestyle. But that's, that's what it takes. Okay? We're not walking a razor's edge of salvation, of, oh man, I lied and I didn't know I lied and I'm going to have to answer to God for that. And yeah, you will and God's going to say you walked in the light as, as he is in the light and so the blood of Jesus has cleansed you from these things. Now, if you choose to say I'm going to deceive my way to the top of my you know, business or whatever and that's how I'm going to live my life, you are a sinful individual. And you're choosing to make this your identity, your lifestyle, your, your choices, and all this. Very important. Go ahead. Uh, isn't that the part of, the, of our understanding of when a new covenant is instituted in there that God is saying, I'm, going, I'm promising you that I'm going to take care of you if you do my if you do my will. In other words, mm -hmm. my covenant. In other words, our salvation depends upon God's promise that He's going to absolve um, and take care of our sins. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> take care of our sins uh, directly mm -hmm. because of our faith in Him. And so I just that's. Yes. That's the new covenant. Which we're going to talk about in the sermon today, too. So everybody, that's, I'm going to try to keep the sermon shorter because you're already getting a lot of this this morning, just so we're, we're clear. Uh, we're, we're bundling these together, uh, as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, well, okay. I, I didn't promise. I didn't say I promise, okay? That's, can we have dessert tonight? Maybe. That's, that's what this is, okay? So probably no, but there's a little bit of hope. <laughs> Okay, this is very important, very important, and we'll talk, I think, more in the sermon than the actual class here about the behaviors, the, these righteous behaviors and all of this, because it's not God denying us uh, enjoyment or something, saying, hey, I redeemed you, and so now I want you to, this, this is just my list of demands. Well, that's, that's not the purpose of the actions. The purpose of the actions is this idea right here. Okay, so we're going to start with the Isaiah thing. Through the upholding of God's laws, the Jewish people would become righteous. Same thing with, with, with Christians. But this was never a solitary thing. By following these commandments, the Israelites would become God's image bearers, reflecting a picture of his perfect creation to the world. If, I'm trying to phrase it in such a way that this is clear to us, um, if the people of God lived dedicated to God, they would look like what God's creation at the beginning looked like. Creator and creation without any separation. That's part of that behavior. These behaviors are righteous behaviors. These behaviors are what cause us to look like God intended, designed us to look like, to bear his image and all of this. 
And as if Israel did that, and they did for a time, because this happens, and this is not on our paper, but this happens, it's noted uh, under King Solomon. There we go. Yeah, so I was going to say Saul, not Saul, uh, but Solomon, uh, where you have the Queen of Sheba, and it's noted others coming to to hear their to hear his wisdom and to see uh, what what they had as a kingdom and all of this. They were drawn in during that time when Solomon was showing all of this wisdom of God and things like that. Now, he also gave into temptation, too. He, you can become unrighteous. I think he turns it around. I think Ecclesiastes is at the end of his life. But uh, he, he goes down the other path uh, at one point because of uh, marriage to, to other nations and things. But there was a time where Israel was upholding that ideal. And Israel was uh, at peace and had this... Uh, great prosperity and was living in connection with God and harmony with God and all the people were doing the things that they were supposed to and it was attractive to the world. That was God's plan. Still God's plan, by the way. Uh, and Jesus brings this up in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, you are the light of the world. That's not a Jesus idea. That's an Old Testament idea. That's God's intention for his uh, design. That's God's intention uh, for, for his people. The idea of being a light to the nations, here towards the bottom of page 2, is expressed repeatedly throughout the ending part of Isaiah. It's chapter 42, 49, 51, 60, it just keeps coming through. And this is the part of Isaiah, very long book. Uh, it's the part of Isaiah that is the, the hopeful end of, of the prophet. It's the prophets, as, as we talked about, go in that cycle of, Yes, you're in this time of exile, and I know you want it to end, but you're here for this reason, because you decided you didn't want to live under God's rule, and so you're not, and you hate it, because it's awful. Learn to live under God's rule. I mean, that's the purpose of exile. Uh, but eventually, you will come back to God and have the opportunity to live under his rule, and this is what things will be if you do that, which they don't. Uh, but Revelation speaks of a time when that's ultimately going to conclude. Well, this, this is that part of the book in Isaiah. And throughout there, he says, and you'll be this light to the nations, that you will return from exile, you'll be living under my rule, you'll be doing the things that I have commanded, and things are going to go well in such a way that the nations are going to look at that and go, wow, look at their peace, look at how great things are over there. And that's, that's the purpose of the laws. That's the purpose of these things that God has laid out. Say, so if you do this, you become what, what creation's intention was from the very beginning. It's very important. These are not just a list of things, go do this, because this is how you get into heaven. That's wrong too, and I'm very confident in that. That's wrong too. Uh, to say that, do these things, you get into heaven, that's not what it teaches. That's ridiculous. Christians go to heaven the reason why we do these things is because it causes us to become transformed into the image of Jesus Christ or stated another way into who we were created and designed to be from the very beginning, which is how all this stuff's going to end. It's not how our class is going to end today because we don't have time for it. It's how the class will end next week. <laughs> but uh, that idea is in Genesis. We've jumped into Isaiah, top of page three, unless somebody has a thought that they want to throw out. After Babylon... You know, God doesn't have to battle against idolatry. The people come back, and there's no more prophecies against idolatry and stuff. Right. The people have finally, finally 
learned that they cannot be a part of the world around them in that sense. Uh, when God yes. goes into Egypt, he demolishes everything about Egypt and their multiple gods and everything. Uh, he de destroys the entire society uh, with the way he overpowers the Egyptian gods. And the people go out as ignorant slaves and have to be taught again right. by the law of Moses what a righteous nation would look like. Uh, but God is... I think sometimes we forget about what God's nature is. One scripture says, a day is a thousand years with God, and a thousand years is like a day. When God works, he works through society, through humanity, yes. with the long view, always with the long view that we are incapable of. Uh, we worry about politics and this, and this election cycle, this decade. God sees the long view. And the long view is revelation that it will end again with God being recognized as creator. This is two classes in a row with religion and politics <laughs> now, so we're gonna we're getting a pattern in our classes, uh, and it's not from you; it was from me last time. It's from me last week. We're getting into a pattern that's gonna be fun eventually. Uh, but no, you're you're right about all that, and they they stop dealing with idolatry to a great degree. And now, when the Gentiles come in, that becomes you know problem again at least for that group, but they don't treat God as holy, so they, they fail to do that part, if you look at Malachi, is where that stuff ends off of, okay, the idol stuff, not as bad, however, I'm, I've also been kind of thrown out, uh, and so God says, I'll, I'll talk to you guys after a while, uh, and that's how the Old Testament ends. Uh, so there is this, there is still this failure to follow either because you're being pulled in this direction or you're you're so comfortable in how things are uh, that you don't treat God as as holy uh, and either way you fail to be a light uh, to the nations around you but that's the intention that's the hope uh, okay Ezekiel and I don't know where's the bell we should have had the first bell already right we have two minutes before the first bell. This clock back here is fast. Okay, this clock is very fast. Got it. Wow. Okay. The, hey, kudos to you guys. You could have got out like three minutes early. <laughs> you might anyway, because I kind of want to leave. I don't want to start Daniel if I can't finish the Daniel stuff. So we may do the Ezekiel thing and the class a little early because uh, we'll come back to this next week. Okay. Or not. I don't know. The term, <laughs> the term nation... Uh, is used some 80 plus times in Ezekiel. Sometimes it's bad, it's, or not bad, but stated in a, a, a judgment sense of, uh, like we said earlier, Israel, when compared to the other nations, the other nations are doing much better, which is why they're continuing to exist. That's another theme. Uh, but there's also judgment that will come on those nations, and Ezekiel talks about that. Uh, but there's also this idea towards the end of that whole light idea. So the other nations seeing and knowing who God is and all of this. Uh, and that's towards the end of Ezekiel, and there's some interesting stuff with that. That, yeah, I do cover on page four. I guess we'll get into Daniel. We have five minutes. We can do this. Uh, so you have Ezekiel following the same trend as Isaiah. Okay, with Daniel... You have our specific phrase, 
the people's nations languages idea repeated several times. Okay, so here are the Daniel references. Uh, and the question with this, and maybe this is where we'll end it with this question, uh, is what is interesting about how the phrase is used throughout Daniel? Okay, so keep that in mind as we look at these. Um, Daniel 3, verse 4. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. This is to bow down before uh, the, the idol that's made there. Uh, Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then Daniel 3.29, the way that this account ends, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. This is where Nebuchadnezzar is like, Getting there, but still obviously, yeah. So, uh, we need to worship the God of Israel. Okay, correct. And if you don't, I will tear you limb from... No, that's bad. <laughs> that's, that's not his ideal. Uh, but that's where Nebuchadnezzar's at. Uh, Daniel 4.1. King, Nebuchadne- King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied to you. Uh, Daniel 5.19. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. Daniel 6.25-26. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Daniel 7.14. And to him was given dominion and glory and a king. And we've, we've read Daniel 7. We've looked at Daniel 7 already, talking about descriptions of Jesus. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominions and everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Okay. Anything interesting about these references in Daniel? The most important, the most powerful man in the world was promoting God as the only God. Yes. Okay, because I have to cut you off because of time. In Babylon. Yes, you're, you're correct about that part, right? So we have most powerful in, in, uh, man in the nation, most powerful nation in the world, turning over here to God. This is also true with Darius. So we have a couple of these instances, right? Nebuchadnezzar and Darius. But what about the ones from chapter 3? To all peoples, nations, and, and languages. All these weren't directed just to Israel. Yes. Yes. Who are they to worship in these opening chapters? Babylon was a world empire with all of the mixtures of all the the Assyrian Empire and all of these others. They were all part of it. A Jew named Daniel was a very high official in Babylon. Yes. Okay, so here... At the beginning, so you have all these peoples, nations, and languages, this mixture of this kingdom here, which you have this tremendous kingdom of the world, Babylon. You also have the kingdom of God, which is heavily discussed throughout Daniel, as we've already seen. And throughout the book, there is this tension between which empire, which kingdom are you going to serve? That's also in Revelation, by the way. Like that, That's what makes this phrase, uh, another reason why this phrase is so important, because throughout Revelation... Uh, Rome is going to be referred to as Babylon repeatedly to draw on this idea from Daniel of there are there are two kingdoms at war. There are two empires. You have the kingdom of God, but you also have 
and it's it's the beast throughout Revelation, it's these other entities throughout Revelation. Which one are you going to serve? Which one are you going to worship? Which one are you going to go with? This is the one that wins. This is the one that's going to to uh, finish and all this. But you're going to have to deal with persecution and exile and all of this if you choose to go with the winning God side of things. You're, you're going to have to deal with this difficulty in the same way that Daniel and his friends, the people of Israel, dealt with uh, here in Babylon. It's a choice between these two empires. Uh, we'll look more at that when we come back next week. Thanks, everybody.